we're, we're continuing with our, our series, which we're talking about bread, and we're comparing it to the wisdom of God, because often in Scripture, there's a double layer of meaning there. We know that we live on bread, literally, but we don't live on bread alone. That is, we need the wisdom of God. We need truth. We don't we would find ourselves grumbling if all we had to do all day was eat bread. Amen? Especially those who are gluten allergy might not like, especially the gluten allergy bread is, it's not very good, right? It's not very good. It's really expensive, not very good. All right, so last week we compared a measure of flour in a jar, the little bit that was left. Today we're going to talk about manna. Next week we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000, and then the week after that, a gathering of harvest so big, new barns had to be built to contain it, a parable of Jesus. And I want you to hear the wisdom that is seen in what we picture with bread, okay? We're going to walk through this story of Moses and Aaron and the Israelites and manna and God, and then we're going to talk about our own participation in the story. The Jewish people tell the Passover meal every year, and they tell it in the present tense, and they share where God has led them to freedom. And so, what a great practice. So we're going to talk about our Egypts and where God is leading us. Now, the people in the story have exited Egypt. They've been walking for two months, and already they've grumbled because they were thirsty. And Moses struck a rock, and water came out of the rock. And here they've marched on for another month, and yet they grumble again. We would never do that, would we? No, not us. There are hundreds of thousands of people walking in the desert. Some of them are from the tribe that we call Israel, and some of them are from other nations. Uh, it lists in Exodus that were, there were other people in the crowd, and there were livestock and just a massive amount of people traversing the desert, wandering. And they had grumbled, and God hear, hears their grumbling, which sometimes sparks anger, but in this case, it's, it's a grace. It's an anger and a grace. Now, they receive specific instruction of what to do to gather this heavenly bread. And manna, when you say it in Hebrew, when you say, what is this? In Hebrew, it's, it's manna. Manna is, what is this? So, kind of a funny, uh, humorous way to remember what God did. They don't even under, know what it is, but it's manna. He says you got to gather it this certain way. you got to gather only an omer per person. You only gather for six days. On the sixth day, you'll end up with twice as much as you need on the one day because that'll get you into the seventh day when you're supposed to rest. You people who came from slavery and worked seven days a week and were constantly bogged down with making bricks, that's not how God works. And they receive these instructions, but it's kind of hard for them to trust God because for 430 years, they were in Egypt. For 430 years, as the Bible measures generations, it's 40 years. So anytime you see 40 years, it's referring to a generation. So almost 11 generations lived in this way of Egypt. Egypt was all about excess and storage. And so they kept building bigger silos and grain bins. You know who built the bigger silos and grain bins that contained the extra food that wasn't able to be eaten by the Israelites? The Israelite slaves. They built, more or less, they built the storage of the food they needed and most of the time wouldn't get. That was their reality. But because they have not left Egypt behind, they're looking back on it in a completely different perspective. So they look back and they say, oh, we should have just died there because we had plenty to eat. That's how they look back on their 430 years in slavery is we had food. That sounds very American, right? 
we just focus on the food. Maybe they were a little hangry, right? They're out in the desert, and they're not thinking about all the bad stuff. They're thinking about the food in our bellies, and if you're like me, sometimes I only think far ahead to the next meal. Anybody with me on that? All right. So they think they would have been better off if they'd stayed put. They still trust Egypt's way, the way that turned the world upside down from God's justice. They're still there. And so God is trying to get them to trust in a new way, in a way where they get what they need every day, nothing more, nothing less. And they get a day of rest, and it's actually a holy day. They're not supposed to leave home. That means we don't run errands on the Sabbath day. When you think about that, that sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, that's what God's telling them. Trust that I'll give you all you need. Because God knows the will of life that ultimately brings us life. Amen? Do we know it? Does the world know it? Does anybody else know the full will that will lead you into fullness of life other than God? No. But Israel is having trouble wrapping their minds around that. So they have to trust God first. But to trust God, actually, they have to stop trusting Egypt. That's, that's hard. So they have to ease into this new understanding. And I want to kind of pick on them a little bit in this respect. They saw plagues. Have you ever seen a plague? A, pl- a biblical plague. Have you ever walked across the bottom of a sea that has been dried up just long enough for you to walk through it? Anybody? No, none of you. Have any of you ever looked at the cloud and seen the glory of God in the cloud? They did all these things, and yet they doubt. Now, I want to pick on them and say, I would never do that. But I know the truth. Because I have seen miracles. If we just but look. And I've seen some pretty miraculous things that I would say is on the scale of walking across the sea. But I've seen a thousand other things that are miracles in themselves. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So as much as I want to pick on them, I also understand why we struggle. Why you struggle, why I struggle. 430 years, it took him 40 years. It didn't take him 40 years to physically walk to the new land. It took him 40 years to actually leave Egypt and begin to trust God so that then they could inherit the promised land. It's an interesting way to think about it. Faith is what they're going to receive if they stop trusting Egypt Start trusting God through that and each and every day seeing they have everything they need, all that they need, that this faith will build up so that when things take a turn for the worse, they will remember that God is the one that led them and feeds them. And that is our calling too. Sometimes we have to leave our Egypt. We have a spiritual place maybe of bondage that we've been. The word Egypt means narrow or constricting or restricting. That's what the word means. It's not a name on a map in their writings. It's this name of restriction and narrow, and God leaves them out into the vast wilderness. What is our Egypt? What's restricting you? It may be a home life you grew up with where you weren't really honored. And so you were called lots of things that aren't true, but they were your truth. And now you're spending time and pain and anger trying to unlearn these terrible things you've learned. And if we haven't experienced it ourselves, we probably know someone who has. Maybe it's addiction that has control over you. Maybe it's the faith you grew up in, even Christian faith. Because sometimes we picture God like a slave driver weighing us down, waiting for us to screw up 
so that God can strike. Were you handed a picture of God like that growing up? I was. And it took me a while to realize that's not God. That's not the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. But some people don't, they don't know the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Some people have left the church, and I wonder, did they leave that God? Which maybe was a good choice, but they haven't come to know the God that Jesus revealed. I wonder, what is the Egypt in your life, and what are the Egypts you see around you? Now, we need to have a healthy fear of God, so not being afraid of God like a slave driver, but a healthy fear. And let me explain it like this. Uh, any of you ever remember learning how to ride a bike? Were you terrified? Yeah, because you knew that if you didn't do something right, there's a chance you could get hurt, right? Maybe dad's there, you know, not going to let you go very far, or your mom strapped you up and, and pads up and down your whole body and helmets, but there's still that sense of fear and a healthy fear. Now, how many of you remember learning how to drive a car? And that sense of respect and fear you have that while this is a great privilege, it also can cause a whole lot of damage, both to you and to others. There's a healthy fear and respect that helps you be as safe and experience the joy as fully as possible. That's the healthy relationship with God. And sometimes, we keep the car comparison, we get to cruising along in life and we start doing things we shouldn't do because we're so comfortable and have forgotten that respect. Anybody with me there? I never, tech, well, I can't lie in church. All right. God made everything through Christ who sustains it all, yes? And you could stare up at the night sky and there's a sense of respect and awe when you see the stars above. Or if you've ever seen the storm roll in, you get a sense of that healthy fear and respect for the God who created every bit of it. Uh, sometimes it takes 40 years of work for us to simply ease out of our old Egypts and into what God has planned for us. We should keep going every day, even on the days that are tough, even on the days we want to grumble, on the days we're hangry. Now, we, we have a part to play in this relationship. God says you have to go and gather. They had to go and gather the manna. It wasn't going to be just put into their lap. They had to go and gather what they could and then keep it and then bake it and eat it, and there was a part they had to play. Jesus talks about our part in faith, and that's prayer. Prayer, every day. And Jesus describes it in an action. He says, you have to ask, seek, and knock. And if you ask, you will receive. And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door shall be opened. A promise, but requires our part to play. So to get what we need, there is a search required. There is an effort. Not always. Sometimes the quail just comes and lands in camp. And glory to God on those days. But most days, to trust God what we need, we have to play our part. Now, it's interesting that those who gather much will still have exactly what they need, and those who gather little will still have exactly what they need. Isn't God good? The God of abundance knows what we need and makes sure that we get it. Now, understand that, and this is going to be a step of faith. Follow with me. Manna and quail are not incredible, extraordinary phenomenons. They're natural things that happen. They're natural things that happen. God didn't do something that's never been done before and hasn't been done since. God led them to where they needed to be to receive something extraordinary in the ordinary. 
There are Bedouins in Israel today who still collect manna. True story. There are still people that will collect quail because what happens in that time of year, April or May, when they were traveling is quail are migrating and they fly until they are exhausted and then they just land wherever they are and you can walk right up and grab one with your hands. That's something you can still do today. And I emphasize these parts of the story because sometimes we look for some monumental walking through the sea kind of moment, but I think God is trying to teach Israel and trying to teach us that there's extraordinary in the ordinary, that there are miracles all around us. And is it really hard to understand who created the quails in the first place? Who created manna? Who created the soil and the the clouds and the sky and the sun and the moon and the rain and all the animals and see who created it all anyway. It's already a miracle. God is inviting us to participate in the miracles already in place, to trust that God's providence comes in the ordinary. Each breath we breathe, take a breath. You live because you breathe. I know that seems elementary, but do you ever just think about it? And you give your breath away, trusting that there'll be another one to receive until there isn't. And that's our reality. One day we will breathe our last. Every breath is a gift. Do we ever thank God for our breath? Sometimes we catch glimpses when little babies are breathing. We sometimes catch the miracle. But we get so distracted, we miss it in our own lives. So even when I receive this great gift, it's up to me to use it correctly. Sometimes I don't use it correctly. Sometimes I use my breath to say things that aren't very kind, to talk about things that I probably shouldn't talk about. God continues to give me the gift anyway. Do you ever thank God for your breath? Bread, in all of its simplicity, is a gift. No one has ever, ever, no person has ever made wheat grow. You with me there? If you think you can, try it, knock yourself out. You can't make the wheat grow. You can plant it. You can hope that it rains and and shines or even come up with your own watering and system, but you can't make it grow. You have to trust it will provide. The ground that God made will provide for you. Do you ever just stop and think what a wonder it is that bread arrived at your table? Every single meal. Now we gather it, we mix it and bake it, yes, but it's a gift. Have you ever thanked God for your bread, even the heels at the bottom of the loaf? Wisdom is a gift. It was God who instilled in humanity that we are better when we're not alone. So, Hopefully you're not alone. And if that sense of community comes from a friendship or comes from a marriage or comes from a congregation, something connected with you and let you know that being here and a part of this group is better than not being here. That was a gift to receive that wisdom and think of all the fruit that has come from that kind of wisdom. Now you only have the wisdom, you only have the faith because it's given to you. When's the last time you thanked God for your wisdom? When we begin living each day in gratitude for our breath and our bread and our wisdom and all the many other things we could spend time on, 
we truly enter into the kind of relationship where we have a healthy respect for God's goodness. And only through the pure gift of Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, were we given the Holy Spirit in the first place to guide us into this way of learning and growing. The Holy Spirit is always leading you deeper daily into connection with God, into this way of life that looks nothing like the Egypts, but looks everything like the promised land if we only but trust. What a gift. Bread. Breath. Trust in God. A gift. Creation. A gift. Wisdom. Jesus. The Holy Spirit. All are gifts given by the God of abundance. And all of these, and only these, are what we truly need. Amen? So what would life look like if we spent more time, five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, just simply being grateful for something as simple as breath? Or the miracle of flowers and honeybees? What a miracle. That's a miracle. You may say it's not compared to manna, but what if it is? How freeing would it be to simply find contentment in the trust you have for God? the God of abundance, who will provide. Not worrying about tomorrow. So much not worrying about tomorrow that you actually give some of your excess to those who maybe weren't able to gather as much and through you have everything they need. Let us leave our Egypts, whatever they may be for you. Whatever has weighed you down and driven you to exhaustion and distracted you from the gifts of the God of abundance. Let us leave them behind. If not only one more step today in the right direction, let us trust in God each day and give thanks to God because God is leading us into a life of abundance where we truly experience all we need. Amen? Amen.